God bless you. Today's message uh, is in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It's probably an expected uh, verse that you, uh, this time of the year to look at, but it's obviously the birth of Jesus. And, you know, this, this message is about for us to think about if there was, all, if, if there was anything that we could wish that could happen to us in life, if there was anything we could dream of that could be the perfect scenario for all of our lives, if there was anything that we could ever hope for to be the most joyous, celebrative event in all of our lives, it would be this story here in Luke, where God invaded our planet, (laughs) that he invaded our world, He invaded our hearts. He invaded the presence of who we are with His presence to communicate to us what is really important in life. Now, you've got to put yourself in the mindset of their ancient traditions, their culture, their way of life, their going and their coming being how they traveled, what they ate, how they communicated to one another, completely different than what we all understand and experience today. For a 90-mile journey would take them five to seven days to get from Nazareth to the city of David and that of Bethlehem for Mary and Joseph. 90 miles, if you're on the interstate, you almost can make it in about not 90 minutes because you're able to go faster than 55 miles an hour. You may make it in, in almost an hour, hour and 15 minutes. It's amazing, isn't it? We can travel, we can be on the other side of the world inside an airplane in six to eight hours. We can leave New York and land in Tel Aviv eight hours later. It's amazing the travel. So you put all that in perspective, and God did something from the cosmic perspective that totally blew them out of the water. That is if God invaded where they were with his presence, and he gave to them the greatest gift they were looking for, even though they didn't know they needed it. (laughs) But once they received it, they realized it is the greatest gift, and it is the Savior of the world. And we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered or taxed. The first registration took place while Serenius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Galilee, or excuse me, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for them to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly 
in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, the shepherds were staying in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on peace on earth to the people he favors. You know, notice the personal pronouns. You, the angel says to the shepherds, the angel says to Mary and to Joseph, he's speaking about you. It's a very personal thing. The Savior of the world was birthed for Mary, for Joseph, for the shepherds, for, the, for all the wise men, all the characters we see surrounded in the Christmas story. And guess what? The Savior of the world was born for you, each of us. And that's joy. There's one present in my house that's big, and I'm dying to open it. And it's got my name on it. It's, it looks good. And I'm joyful about it. But beyond that, there's a bigger gift that I'm reminded of this time of year, every year, that's beyond anything could ever be wrapped and adorned, could ever have my name on it. Beyond that, it is the Savior of the world, world birthed for me. It gives me the hope, as we said, in the lighting of that candle a moment ago, we've lit that fourth candle as the candle of hope. And we said again, it is the hope that you have and the hope that I have. We're not speaking only of eternity here. We're talking about everyday life. When you awaken in the morning and you put your feet on the floor, you are standing in your new day of hope. And when you go to bed tomorrow night, and you arise the next day, you will be standing again into a new day of hope. Hope every day because of the birth of our Savior. You know, long before we knew about rockets and satellites and spaceships, the church has been invaded by God. The world has been invaded from the cosmos. The world has received what, what they didn't even know that we needed. Christmas is of the heavens, bright light from heaven, a heavenly chorus, the announcement of angels, for unto you is born a Savior. You see, God in Christ, with great love and grace, has invaded our planet and came to earth not as an enemy, but he came as a friend. And so therefore we realize that the Christmas story is about friendship. You know, I, I, love, I love all of the commentators and all of those who give description, their personal self, about Christmas. One of those I learned this week in studying in Sunday school, and um, I'm going to spoil a little bit for you on Tuesday night class who's going to be there, so I'm going to give you a preamble. And the, the term... In, in Psalm 95, 
where it says for us to come into his presence to give thanksgiving and to give joy to him with blessing from our heart to his holy name. And when you look at that psalm, you see it as a command to give him joy and to give him thanksgiving. But the imperative of that psalm is not the command to give him joy and thanksgiving from our heart. The command is to enter into his presence. The Hebrew word for presence in Psalm 95, 96 is the face of God. And so we are challenged to enter into the presence of God to worship his face. And by worshiping the face of God, it causes us to give joy and thanksgiving from the deepest part of who we are, praising his holy name. So the Bethlehem story is about coming to Bethlehem and seeing this Christ child, the Savior who has been born, so that we could see the face of God. And, that, and so that we could receive a personal experience and relationship from God who has invaded our heart and our world. You see, God came as a friend. He didn't come as an enemy. He came as a friend so that he could call us friends of God, that we could be called sons and daughters of God, that we can be called brothers and sisters in Christ, that we could be a family all over the world as we believed, regardless of our nationality and our native tongue, that we could all worship the one true king, the great I am. And that's who Jesus is. And that's the gift that was given to us. It's interesting, like most invasions, they happen at night. You know, you hear all of the stories of World War I, World War II, even the, even the desert storm. You know, we invaded at night. Why do you invade at night to try to keep, catch the enemy off guard? It's interesting that, that Jesus came while the earth was asleep. Luke tells us that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Another interesting tidbit about this scripture in verse 8, where he says, watching over their flocks by night. And Renee will put that up on the screen in just a moment. But, but they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flocks by night. Why were they watching the flock? Do you realize that they probably were keeping a hand on the sheep so that they could take the sheep and offer the best sheep who survives the night and survives the weather and survives their time together the best sheep that will be offered as a sacrifice. And yet they were surprised in the middle of the night. They were surprised by the glowing of an angel. They were surprised by a messenger that shook their world and shook their shoes, shook their feet right out of their shoes. As the world wiped the drowsiness from their eyes and went about its work and not knowing our planet had been invaded, there were no ships, no troops, no weapons, no rockets, no booms, no sounds of war. It didn't look like an invasion. It seemed so weak 
there was a little babe wrapped in peasant clothes who whimpered in the night, and the world was attracted to this child. Over the baby was a mother gleaming with joy as she saw her newborn son. Standing beside her was a hard-working carpenter from Nazareth. Surely they didn't look like an army, and they surely didn't look like an enemy. We associate strength with big, bulky, loud, bolsterous things. Therefore, what real strength often passes right by us, but not so in this child who may have seen him as weak, but later discovered their strength. So we're commanded to come to the baby. We're commanded to come to the child. We're commanded to give our heart and our allegiance to this child. And when we realize that we're looking into the face of God, we're experiencing the friendship of God, and we're experiencing the the invitation to set ourselves into the strength of God for the rest of our life. All because of this small little child. I like what one Christmas card said reflecting on Jesus, that one solitary life. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned have not affected life of men on earth as much as that one solitary solitary life. Jesus invaded our world. But the question is, why would Jesus invade our world? There's two reasons. Number one is I believe he came to free us. You know, one of the things that happens to a child after a few months is they learn that they can move their arms and so what's the, one of the first things we as parents do when we see the arms starting to move? We, see, we stick a rattle in their hand so that when they move, we hear. Guess what's in Jesus' hands? You ready for this? It's going to blow you out the water. <laughs> You're going to hear a ringing in his hands. It's the keys that unlocks the jail cell that has kept you in prison. And he's given you the keys to set you free. That's what you see in Christ. He came to free us. Christ has come to free us because we're in bondage. We're bound by the forces that are real as chains around our ankles and cuffs around our wrists. There are walls as thick as prison walls, doors as heavy as prison doors, and bars as strong as prison bars that hold us. And who in this room doesn't relate to being trapped, imprisoned, or enclosed? But you know, strange things happen with us. We're given freedom, yet we choose bondage. We're offered light, and we choose darkness. We're given life, but we choose death. In fact, Jesus says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19. Is there someone who can snap those chains? Who can break those cuffs? Is there someone who can crash through those thick walls and carry away those heavy doors and tear away those strong bars? 
Is there someone who can rescue us from the alien hands that possess us and give us back to the one we belong? In fact, it is. Jesus did. Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's what Christmas is about. Two ultimate tragedies of life are sin and death. Christ has invaded our ranks to free us from both those things to give us victory in life. And when we're commanded to come and see, to come into His presence and worship, to see the face of God, we're given victory in life as we accept this child as our Savior who was birthed for you and for me. That's the story of Christmas. The message of Christmas is not that we have come but that He has come and has set us free. Christ dealt with our sin on a cross and dealt with our death Easter morning. So Christ has come to set us free. Why would Jesus invade our world? Number one, we said to set us free. And number two, He came to win us. He came to win us back. In other words, to win us back to God, to Himself and to each other. Do you remember the episode on Andy Griffith that people got locked into the jail cell and they couldn't find the key and they had to break and Barney puts the chains on the outside of the window of the prison and then this guy begins to, who was Mr. Clumsy, uh, figures it out and they actually are able to remove the jail cell door to get everybody out and about that time Barney gives it the gas and pulls the wall down of the prison cell. Well, we don't have to worry about all of that work. The work has been done. All has been taken care of. We don't have to worry about the change. We don't have to worry about the effort. All we have to do is submit ourselves to Him. And in submitting to Him, we realize that we have been brought back to God. We have been won back to God. We have been reconciled to God, back to Himself and to each other. You see, God has made us, loves us, and does not want to give up on us. We belong to Him, yet we have rebelled against Him. We have cut ourselves off from the spring of life by the choice of sin that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But when the Bible speaks of death, it means more than the heart ceasing to beat. It means separation from God, separation from the source of life. And through Christ, that death has been taken care of for those who submit, those who yield, those who give their heart to Him, and we're won back to God, and we're given life all over again. We're given reconciliation. We're given hope. We're given destiny. We're given purpose. And yet we realize God is real in this of Christ to win us back to God, to himself, and to each other. A man may walk out of the doctor's office with a clean bill of health and be dead spiritually. My friend, his coming is not war but freedom to win us back to God to win us back unto himself. And Christ's goal is to win us back. You see, Christ intends to stack 
our arms of rebellion at the cross and ask for peace. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's saying to them, Father, let them stay free for the rest of their life. Father, don't put the penalty of death against the ones who, who seems to hate you. Through, through me, he says, Father, forgive them. Let them go free. And the declaration, surely this was the Son of God at the base of the cross is the declaration of all the world who realizes that he is the Savior. The very child that was born is the Savior on the cross. And through this event, he has given life. He has taken the penalty of our death and given us life. And surely this man was the Son of God and is the Son of God. His invasion has a theme, as all invasions do. But his theme was peace, goodwill toward men. That's the theme. How many in their testimony say, I can't explain it, but when I gave my heart to Christ, there was peace. When I gave my heart to Christ, there was joy. When I gave my heart to Christ, I began loving people that I didn't think I could love. Peace, goodwill toward all mankind. You see, freedom in Christ gives us a freedom under the lordship of Christ. Not a freedom to do as we please, but a freedom to do as he pleases. Sooner or later, we make the confession, whether in time or whether it's too late, it's up to each of of us to do that. I can manage my life for myself or I need someone to manage it for me. One or the other. And when we say Jesus is Lord, that he is Lord, something happens. As a child, the most impressionable moment in my life was two events. When my father stood in our living room as the Methodist minister was there visiting with us out of love and care and compassion. Just the most, for a young child, I could not have asked for a picture of a minister in this of Reverend Cannon. And he stood there time and time again offering his peace and his love to us as a family who was out of church and unchurched and lost. And his presence brought hope to our home. And one day he pinned my dad down. And my dad got a little bit aggravated, got angry, jumped up from that recliner and pointed his finger just inches from his nose and said, I will never, never bow down to Jesus Christ. And that Methodist minister never missed a beat. He didn't say anything harsh. He didn't say anything in regards to his uncomfortableness. And I'm sure it broke his heart as he listened to that. But he loved all of us anyway. And I remember thinking there's going to be a lightning bolt that's going to come through this house. So I'm going to my bedroom and get away from my dad. And then when his son, my brother, was hit by a car three days after Christmas and laying there in a lifeless situation on the pavement after being thrown 50 foot in the air, unconscious and dying. 
went to the local hospital in Georgetown to immediately be transported. At that time, we didn't have helicopters, but immediately be transported to Roper Hospital in Charleston and there to be given a 30% chance of life. Days had went by, still unconscious, still got all these tubes and all this stuff coming out of my brother's body. And then finally the nurses says, the family, the children, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, all that, are allowed to come see him in intensive care now. And you walk up to the doors, the doors automatically open and swung open into that pediatric intensive care unit because he was a teenager. The pediatric intensive care unit, it was divided by cubicles, not by rooms, with curtains. The curtain was thrown back. And there was my father on his knees, hands in a folded position, praying a prayer to God. And that flashback of about three years before, watching my father in anger saying, I'll never submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, found himself at the mercy of God, begging for his son's life. Those two things stood out to me and stand out to me today beyond anything else in my life. Later on in my life, my dad did accept Christ on his deathbed, thankfully so. Christ came to win us back, not to create animosity, to love us even when we're not lovable, to care for us even when we do not care for ourselves, to work out the plan beyond what we could ever see, to give us a purpose even when we don't think we need it. And he's worked out all these details and we so desperately need it and we so desperately need each other. Some of the most agonizing pain in all of life is to be separated from those who are close to us. And this year has probably accentuated that more than anything. Some are not even having family celebrations at Christmas. And for those who are tuning in, it doesn't mean your Christmas has to be canceled. A vaccine is coming, people. Postpone your Christmas. Even if you have to leave your tree up to February or March, leave it up and celebrate Christmas when you feel it's safe. You don't have to cash in and not celebrate. Just postpone it. We're doing it with Renee's family in January. We may do it in February. Who knows? Christmas for you as a family does not have to be canceled. But regardless, Christmas for your heart will never be canceled. As a believer, it doesn't matter what takes place on the outside. It's what takes place on the inside. Christ wins us back to God and to win us back to each other. The tragedy of life is when you and I live on tiny tiny islands and we are separated from two mainlands. But God is our bridge that gets us from one part of that separation back to Him. And it's bridged through that of a cross. Therefore, the reconciliation of Christ gives us a double one, to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to each other. I remember Dr. E.V. Hill, one of the most powerful African-American 
preachers that I could ever have sat under in my lifetime, when he stood up to speak, you could just sense the presence of God. When he delivered his message, you could just feel the power of God. And when he gave the invitation, you felt the pool of God. It was that way. And here he was in a group of white people in a, of 5,000 of us. And he's the one African-American guy there. And he says, I remember the day when I hated you people because of the civil rights and him standing up for civil rights and being threatened and, and all that had happened to him in the 1960s in Los Angeles. And he said, I don't know what happened, but something happened to my heart and I began to love all people, white, black, whatever they are. That's what Christ does. When we may have had a prejudiced remark against a stinky shepherd, or we may have had this goody two-shoes, greater art thou towards those in the palace. There at the manger, as is at the cross, all things are equal. And we begin to love all people, regardless of the way they look, and the way they smell, and how they dress, and how they act. We began to love them. We find brothers and sisters in Christ and there is more than anywhere else that we can be loved but in that family where we're accepted and we're affirmed. It is there our worth is declared. It is there that people reach out and touch us and call us by name and strike a chord of common response. It is there that our brothers and sisters when we're descending into the dark walk of life with us, stays with us until the darkness passes and the light shines through. The last two weeks, God put on Bob's first heart to do a little prayer ministry. And we've been so blessed, Dwight and Eric, Bob and I, that we're going around to families who haven't been attending or haven't been able to attend church because of the pandemic. And we call them up and we set up a time and we go to their yard. We mask ourselves up and they can come out to us if they like or they can stand behind their glass or their door if they like. We put them on the phone if they're not in our presence and we pray in their yard to encourage them and to let them know that they're loved, that they're missed and we hadn't forgot about them. And we look forward to the day that we're all back together. You see, that's what brothers and sisters are about. We get into the midst of the darkness and we bring light into that darkness to penetrate that darkness till they see light all over again. My friend, do you know this freedom and understand this reconciliation? If not, come to Jesus. And let him be your friend and not your foe. For Christmas, give Christ the best present that you could ever give him. Yourself. That's what Christmas is about. He gave you the best gift. 
born for you. Now give him back the best gift. You. Thanks be unto God for the celebration of Christmas and thanks be unto God that God invaded our planet and invades our heart. Father, we thank you that you give us the precious joy and a heart of thanksgiving to realize what this Christ child is, the flesh of God, the face of God, the spirit of God, the work of God, the purpose of God, the love of God, the reconciliation and freedom from God all through this child. Father, thank you that we can stand with one another regardless of our class and regardless of our economic social status, regardless of our color of skin, regardless of our nationality or our native tongue, that we can stand and even kneel at the manger and understand what it's all about. Father, thank you for the greatest gift of all. And thank you that you give us opportunity to give to you every day ourselves afresh and anew as a best gift all of our heart and our life submitted and yielded to you. Thank you for freedom and thank you for reconciliation in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.